On Bears fans, Pat the Designer, Courtney Cronin, Chicago Bears podcast. We're back at it again. You already know we had to jump back in here because Justin Fields is back. We touched on that a little bit yesterday, but now we're going to get our eye on the enemy episode in as Eric Woodyard will join us later on in the show to look at what's going on with the Detroit Lions, the 7-2 and two Detroit Lions. It feels so weird to say. <laughs> like, they're such a good football team. It's so weird to me, Courtney. I was listening to Cap and J-Hood this morning, and they had Tom Thayer on, and he predicted that this environment that they walk into inside Ford Field, and I know I think he played at Silver Dome, but, like, nonetheless, he said that this will be the most hostile, intense environment that, has ever occurred in Detroit for a Bears uh, Lions game, which I was, I mean, I was kind of blown away by considering what those games look like in the 90s and yeah. when both teams were, you know, a little bit more evenly matched. But Detroit's been building towards this. And I, you watch some of these games this year. First off, you watch how well their fans traveled. There was a lot of Honolulu blue in Los Angeles last week, yeah. just like there was when there was a lot of Bears fans there. It's the Chargers. It's SoFi Stadium. It's a great road trip. If you're going to take one a year during the season, it's a great one to go to. But If you're going to leave Detroit in December or yeah. in, uh, in November, you might as well. But, like, they traveled well to Tampa Bay. They traveled well to Kansas City. And this fan base finally feels something within its grasp. So I'm excited from that aspect of it. Hopefully it's a more competitive game than the one the Bears played in the last time they were at Ford Field uh, in December. And there was, you know, meltdowns on the sideline and business decisions being made against the run. But that was also game number 16 on the schedule. Uh, so that was season was completely out of hand. But I think this is a good – I don't expect the Bears to win. I'll come out like saying that right yeah. off the bat. But like this is a great measuring stick sort of game to see where you are against a team whose blueprint, without saying it directly – that's the blueprint that they want to follow. You'll never find a coach or anybody like talking at the podium says, Oh yeah, we want to do exactly what the lions did. Right. But, like my gosh, this is like from a to F you should follow every single step that this team has made because this was not an overnight success for this Detroit team. They built to get to this point and they're capitalizing on it with a seven and two record. And they're one of the best teams in the NFC. Well, maybe this is the week where it starts. Remember, they were uh, they were not off to a good start last season either. Mm-hmm. Maybe this is the week where the Bears were able to get something moving in the right direction. A lot of health coming back for the Chicago Bears here, Courtney. Yep. We heard Justin uh, is going to be good to go. Nate Davis is possibly going to return as well, depending on his conditioning. Uh, I believe he was a full go yesterday as well. Terrell Smith has returned to practice. The interesting one here, of course, Justin Fields is the number one thing to look at as we head into this game. What's the expectation on the workload they're going to give Fields? Is this going to be he's fully back in? We're putting everything back on his shoulders. It's time for you to go and show us something. They wouldn't have cleared him if it was okay. He's 75%. uh, He still has all this extra, you know ground to make up. I know what he said yesterday that the thumb and the pain level, like he's not at a hundred percent, his thumb is still, still healing, but he can, he can function with that thumb to the point where it's not going to be a liability for him in his quarterback operation during the game, which is the most important, like number one grip strength. And I thought it was a good sign. I mean, we've seen him out at practice. He doesn't have a glove on his thumb, on his hand. He's wearing a glove on his right hand because it does make it easier to grip the ball. Um, He wasn't wearing that yesterday. And I don't think, 
honestly, I'm trying to remember because we only saw one practice last week. He had something on his thumb. I don't think it was a full glove, but like November 3rd, the first time he came back. Yeah, like that sleeve thing? Yeah, it was like, I I would call it a brace, but it didn't look like, you know, a cast by any stretch. So like something soft to like keep it in place. So he taped it up. He said by Sunday, he'll determine whether he can play with or without the tape. So again, if you have less restrictions on your throwing motion and less restrictions on, you know, the way that you grip a ball, that's super important to determine how successful you can be, what kind of throws you can make. And they wouldn't have put him in this position if they didn't believe that he was able to do all of those things. Now, the curious part here is going to be under center versus the gun because of where the snap comes from, how, you know, I'm curious to see how that operation has gone to make sure that he's comfortable, what adjustments he might have had to make in those situations. But that's... um you know, that that's the next couple of days. Like yesterday was his first full go practice since before the Minnesota game. So I guess that would have been like October 12th, that Thursday, yeah. when they were actually going full speed before the, you know, the October 15th game where he dislocated his thumb. So the Bears are happy with it. Um, we'll, we'll get a chance to see kind of early and often how they have to adjust, though, to what, you know, to, to any limitations. Because clearly he's not going to be back to, I mean, I'll say back to normal, but like, you know, kind of put a pause in there because yeah. he's still dealing with a dislocated thumb that literally happened a month and a day ago, but he can do it to the point where they believe, all right, let's get you back out there. Cause they want to get a true evaluation on him. Yeah. And they, they know they wouldn't be able to get a real evaluation if he was still dealing with significant pain and, and significant hindrance to his ability to throw the ball. No, for sure. I mean, like, I think one of the more interesting parts of Justin returning is now, right, is this going to hinder the throws that he feels comfortable making? Because before he had left, the deep ball was something that he was thriving on. Does he feel like he can push that ball down the field the same way? Uh, Or are we going to see him possibly fall back on his legs a little bit more? He's got an interesting matchup coming in this week. The, The Lions defensive line is like, Aiden Hutchinson and the rest of them kind of at this point in the season. I think we we sort of saw that uh, against the Chargers on uh, last Sunday where basically Justin Herbert walked out of there untouched. But on the offensive side of the ball, the Bears are going with a different setup on this offensive line. If Nate Davis is going to be good to go, Tevin Jenkins will then move back to left guard. How much of an impact do you think that that will make early on, even though Tevin has played all the positions, they basically moved him everywhere but center, but you had talked about before, right? He said that it's harder to go Mm -hmm. from right to left. How quickly do you think he'll be able to acclimate back into that? He's done it before this season, so you'd like to think that since it wasn't, you know, something he did two years ago, that he can fall back on any sort of habits, any sort of, you know, tools that he used to get himself back up to speed when he moved over to the left side of the line after, you know, he comes back and is cleared from injured reserve and then now going from left to right and then going back from right to left. Yeah. If there's anybody who can do it, it's Tevin Jenkins. And that's what he has proven in terms of his worth and his value to this team. Like we were talking about this the other day, you know, when we think about the contract extensions that they have to make here in the coming, you know, the ones at least that are going to be on the table, I don't have to do anything, but like Jalen Johnson, Darnell Mooney, Tevin Jenkins is going into year four, you know, after this off season, that should be a no brainer. Lock this guy up to, you know, a four year deal, give him a considerable, 
know, for what you've put, for what he's been put through here, but also yeah. how he's thrived in that. Like you don't want to lose this piece and the value that that adds to an offensive line when you're, all your guards are cross-training, your center, they're cross-training at guard, they're cross-training at center in the emergency yeah. of a situation, which they've had to, you know, hit the, pull the emergency valve a couple times because of injuries. But we saw how dominant that right side of the offensive line has looked the last couple of weeks where you've got a rookie coming into his own and Darnell Wright. He's played more snaps than anybody on this entire team. Um, I don't know if that's by design or if that just ends up being kind of like what it is. And, in, in, you know, same thing we saw last year with Braxton Jones. But it is so impressive to me how Tevin Jenkins has not really missed a beat since coming back week five off injured reserve and to watch his growth going from the left side to the right side and now back to the left side. That's stability that this team needs. I mean, it's unfortunate in the sense that Cody Whitehair is the odd man out. I mean, he's given a lot to this offensive line. I saw Kyle Long's tweet and I agree with it. I mean, since 2016, this guy has played a multitude of positions, yeah. kind of like Tevin Jenkins, but like, all right, well, we've got an injury here. You're going over here today. He's been moved around a ton, and he's been like the consummate pro, but this situation now that they feel Nate Davis's conditioning level will put him back into the lineup, it doesn't sound, at least kind of from what I asked at Matt Eberflus yesterday, it doesn't sound like he's going. there's going to be much of a platoon, if any, at right guard. I know Cody Whitehair hasn't played right guard in, in a couple of years, but yeah. I would imagine in a pinch, considering these guys cross train at both positions, if they had to do that, they could. But I also don't think that they necessarily would. Like, I don't think Nate Davis would be on a Wednesday declared, hey, he's starting at right guard if he wasn't up to the speed that they expected and need him to be coming off that high ankle sprain uh, when they go to Detroit, because you're right. That defensive line's really good. And it's not just Aiden Hutchinson. I mean, they have. They have they get a lot of pressure on quarterbacks and they are really good at doing it. And so you want to make sure that you are, you know, as, as stout as you can possibly be up front. And this is the first time since Jenkins got hurt in Indy. I think it was like August 16th or 17th during the joint practices. First time that this will be the combination that they, you know, the healthiest that they've been, their starting combination they wanted to roll out earlier this year. And technically it's Technically, that combination doesn't exist because Cody Whitehair was supposed to be playing center, yeah. but we learned like that that just wasn't the right fit for him this year. But it's um, it's remarkable that it's taken this long for them to to be able to do that. But I also think that's a byproduct of the NFL. These injuries are going to happen, and you're just going to have to deal with it. And now that you do have full health with Justin Fields coming back at as healthy as he can be to be able to play and get an evaluation on him. This is kind of the message that the Bears are sending. Hey, we're giving you the best offensive line that we have. We're giving you the full complement of your wide receivers. There's no injuries there. Khalil Herbert's still in his 21-day window. Imagine that he will be activated soon. Hey, Justin, you've got everything around you. Now it's on you to go perform. Like If you read between the lines and the moves that have been made with the roster and how healthy the roster is now, this is about as best of a chance as they're going to get to evaluate their quarterback with as healthy as the roster is. Yeah, I mean, and what has been the feeling around Tevin Jenkins on this? Is he, like, like we, we kind of talked about him being the one that's been moved around and Cody Whitehair went through that and he was the consummate pro. Mm -hmm. But remember, when everything started with Tevin, like, they didn't like Tevin. They thought he was immature, didn't want him around. Like, he didn't play, I think, the first two or three games of the season because... Uh, 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 they didn't feel like he was the 
their go-to guy. You're uh, saying in 2021? Well, well, last when Flus first got here, right? Yeah. When Flus first got here, there was all that tension with Tevin Jenkins and different things like that. What's been his feeling about moving around, being the guy that has to move back and forth? He's he's bought into it, and I was actually just trying to pull up his game log from 2022. Um, yeah, I mean, he he started, I remember, he started San Francisco, he started Green Bay. If I can remember where, I think he was starting at, I think he was at right, he was at right guard there. He was at right guard, yeah, yeah. Right guard, and then he didn't start the Houston game, but he played. Yeah, like he was. He All over with, the place. He was, yeah, he was dealing with a lot, and I can go back to, you know, it was one of my first training camp here um, in August of 2022, and there's all this this speculation that he might not be on the team. They were looking to trade him, and they were, there were like I don't know how it didn't get close very clearly, but there were absolutely calls being made on his behalf to see if there were any takers for a trade, and just to think about how far he came because at that point. Rewind all the way back to OTAs in 2022, before, like April 2022, before they br- draft Braxton Jones. Tevin Jenkins was the first team offense, first team left tackle. Yeah, with the with the offensive line, Braxton Jones comes in very quickly, becomes the first team left tackle. All right, Tevin Jenkins goes to right tackle. Larry Borum ends up being swing tackle. I think Larry was actually playing some left then uh, with the second with the second team. So then he's the right tackle, and then they're trying to find like a spot for him after they bring Riley Reef in, who ends up being the right tackle. And it's like, all right, well, where are we going to put you? We got to kick you inside the guard. And look at like, you know, 17, 18 months removed from that point, how far this guy has come, where that feels like such a distant memory to where he was on such like unsettled ground here with the bears. And they weren't sure, was he a fit with this new coaching staff? Was he going to be able to, to find his way into a role? And when you hear coaches talk about Tevin Jenkins and the growth that he has made, the first thing they talk about is how professional he is and how he's handled this. Like whatever's been asked, like he could have been like, nah, screw this. I don't want to play a position. First off, you make a lot more money as a tackle in this league than you do as as a guard most times. And yes, the guard market, as we saw in free agency with Chris Lindstrom and a bunch of other guys who got paid, you can make good money. But like a lot of guys end up thinking about this, like, all right, I came in as a tackle. I want to make tackle money. I don't want to be moved around to where that's affecting my potential earnings. And for Tevin to just kind of push all that to, to the side and say, all right, well, the only place that there's a spot for me right now is on the interior of the offensive line. I've got to figure out a ma- way to make it work. For him to do that and then succeed within that, I think says a lot about him in the character element, too, that the Bears are looking for here. Because remember, this is still a young team. He's in his mid-20s. Yeah. Um, that's somebody, again, like I'm very curious to see one of the first extensions that they do this offseason, when Tevin Jenkins becomes eligible for it, uh, he's a second-round pick. He's going into year four. That one should be a no-brainer for this coaching staff in this front office. Yeah, I, I think the only hope is that uh, Tevin wants to be here. And, and, and I think and, he know, does. I really do think he does because yeah. he's – God, th- just the amount of change that he's been through – since he got here, I mean, the back surgery that put him out for most of his rookie season and the changes last year, you finally found something that sticks. Why would you want to uproot your life again? Um, I mean, I guess unless a contender came calling and whoever's going to have the biggest, you know, the biggest bag for him, but he's done everything they've asked him to do. And 
I know that we're all eyes are going to be on that switch this weekend to see how he goes from right to left again, see if it is as seamless as it appeared to be at least that first time. Yeah, and his life is not going to be made easy again. Aiden Hutchinson on that defensive line. He's a guy that absolutely can dominate. He's going to have to help Braxton Jones a lot. Let's uh, get a little bit of a deeper dive into what's going on in Detroit. Eric Woodyard out here with the Detroit versus everybody hoodie on. <laughs> I see you, my guy. I see you. What's going on there, Eric? Covering the Detroit Lions for ESPN. How you feeling, man? What's up, man? I'm good. How you doing, man? I'm here at the facility now. I look all... Like I'm in a uh, studio or something. Yeah, I was, I was about to say, you got a, they got a music studio up there. Big Sean record out of there on weekends sometimes. What's going on up there? I, I might drop a track, man. I'm getting inspired in here, man. <laughs> hey, as long as you use Rudy Gobert choking out Draymond Green as the album cover, that's all I need to see. <laughs> hey, hey, he's he, he not too far from me, man. I know a lot of Draymond, so he does sagging on Flick connection. Yeah, so, yeah, yeah, I'm not mad at it. Well, listen, we, we got to jump straight in. Appreciate you joining the show, Eric. Uh, Bears versus Lions is going to be a very, very big week for the Chicago Bears. Maybe not so much for the Detroit Lions, but Justin Fields coming back. Uh, and this is coming off of a week where the Lions defense, a little bit porous, 30, uh, uh, 41, 38 points allowed versus that Chargers team. We've seen them do a really good job against Justin Fields, though, and be able to kind of keep him under wraps. What's your expectation coming into Sunday on how they're going to try and keep Justin Fields in that pocket, not allowing him to use his legs and force him to use that arm? I think his defense is super inspired. You know, we just got done talking to the defensive coordinator, Aaron Glenn, and, you know, I think he kept it in perspective. Like, yeah, we allowed 38 points, but, I mean, it's, that was almost like an anomaly. This team has been really good, you know, at, at defending that run. I think they'll yeah. do a good job this week, but – on the other flip side, they have struggled with running quarterbacks. You saw what Lamar Jackson did to him this season. So, yeah. I mean, it just depends on what what version of Justin Fields uh, we're going to see. I mean, I know he's coming off the injury. Uh, he on my fantasy team, too. So, uh, I don't know. What that <laughs> <laughs> I want to see what he's going to do. I want to see what he's going to do, though. You know what I mean? I'm just, I'm just making mm -hmm. a little light of it. But, no, I know I'm serious this in all seriousness, um, I think it just really depends on what, what what version of Justin Fields we're gonna see. But I think uh this team is super super motivated after letting up, you know, thirty eight points. I mean, that's not a reflection of them. So I see them coming out and I see them being super inspired. Yeah, well the Bears haven't scored more than thirty eight points more than one time this season. So very clearly Detroit probably has an easier test here against this offense. But I want to ask about that deep, like the way that they get pressure, because of course Aiden Hutchinson is the name, and that's and that's fair. I mean, he's been on a tear since he got in here last year as a rookie. But then you take a look at what McNeil does, and then the way that they use their linebackers, whether it's Alex Anzalone, whether it's Julian O'Quara, how does Aaron Glenn send pressure to where? That's something when we were just talking about this, I'm sure you heard as, as we were bringing you in, there's a new offensive line combination yet again for this Bears team. What are some of the things that they have done to be so successful at getting the quarterback off their spot? I think it's really been intentional. Honestly, you look at the guys they drafted and they brought in. People looked at them crazy when they brought in Jack Campbell, but now you're seeing, mm -hmm. you know, kind of the mindset of what they were trying to do. It's, it's been intentional putting pressure on the ball. And, I mean, they've done a better job at, even in the secondary as well. This whole defense – 
has just improved drastically the last two years. That's been kind of the Achilles heel. So it's just kind of been a collective effort. I think they've really, really been focused on, you know, those fundamental, those sound things, doing the right thing every day. And I think when the opportunities arises, no matter who they put in, I mean, you look at they lost James Houston. He was a rookie last year and he was able to have the second, you know, most sacks for rookies outside of Aiden Hutchinson. They lose him and they can still keep going. That was one of their top pass rushers as well. So it don't matter who you plug in. I think their fundamentals are so sound. And I think they're so locked in on those details that no matter who you're putting in, they're ready to plug in and go right away. So this team is just built, constructed right, fundamentally, from the ground up. It's interesting, right, because it feels like almost that the Lions feel like they need somebody else to bring pressure. When you look at Aiden Hutchinson's numbers per PFF, right, 52 pressures on the season. He's top 10 in the NFL. His pass rush win rate is 19%, basically. That puts him at top 15. But outside of them, the Lions, I guess depending on where you put John Kaminsky, kind of been more of an interior guy, moves around, stuff like that. But Outside of that, they don't have another edge rusher with more than 20 pressures on the quarterback. And it seems like they kind of feel like, okay, we need to get some help here because they go out and sign 36-year-old Bruce Irving. What is the feeling around the Detroit Lions right now with what the front defensive line can actually do to generate more pressure? Yeah, I think that is the case. I mean, they, they're looking at as much depth as possible in those roles. I mean, I was kind of surprised in the draft that they didn't, Go edge rusher. That was just. I was surprised at the deadline. They didn't try to go out and yeah, get one. They didn't go out and get somebody. Yeah. I, was, I was a little, little surprising. But I think it's just it's really a committee thing. I mean, it's, it's really putting more focus in what they do have. I don't really think they're necessarily focused on what they don't. I think they're making the best out of the talent that they do have. And I mean, yeah, yeah they allowed thirty eight, but they're still a top ten defense in the league. I mean, I think they're 100%. just looking at ways to improve and be sound. You know, but yeah, it's just it's just a point of emphasis, man. I don't think it's really. You know, necessarily anybody. I mean, obviously they brought in him as well, but it's just it's it's an area that they're definitely focused on. All right. So somebody Bears fans know really well is David Montgomery, and he was awesome in his return from injury last week. 116 rushing yards, both him, Amon Ross St. Brown, and Jameer Gibbs, all over 100 yards from scrimmage. So that seems like a pretty deep threat that they have offensively. They can beat you on the ground. They can beat you, you know, with running backs catching passes out of the backfield. And then of course, one of the, one of the better young receivers in the NFL, how has that group come together, I guess, offensively to where it's a multifaceted approach that they've taken, not just, you know, in home games, but being able to go on the road and put up points too. I think it's a couple of different things. I think number one is Ben Johnson, the offensive coordinator. Mm-hmm. You know, this guy is just a master at play calling. You know, he's a master at bringing out the right situations. You know, he really sees things. He has an eye for winning call plays, and I think he has an eye of getting eyes open, getting guys open at the right times. And also, Jared Goff. I mean, he has a connection with these guys, and he knows when to pass, when to throw. They're just equally as dangerous in both spots. And I mean, their temperament, all those different guys, they kind of fit together well. Nobody's in this locker room with a super big ego, you know, you saw, I don't know if you saw the clip that went viral where Montgomery was like, you know, I'm not letting you get everything where Jameer Gibbs yeah. had two touchdowns and he came back and, and rushed for that 75 yards. So I think it's a healthy competition as well where guys want to up the other a little bit and be, and be better, but it's not like an egotistical thing. So I think, you know, this, this offense just can, can beat you in every way. And I think we saw a little bit of it last, last year, but now it's really, you know, all the pieces are coming together with the right personnel and the guys who really believe and put the work in, that's the number one thing these guys put the work in here uh, to really try to be good and shed this narrative on what the Lions have been largely irrelevant for most of my life, my lifetime. 
Hey, that got personal. He felt that way. He said, "For most of my lifetime." I I still don't believe it. I still don't believe it. You know, I know they're seventy-two, but I got to see them finish it out. I've saw a lot of. Hot starts, you know what I mean? But I, I just gotta see. I, gotta see, I, I, see I know how you feel, dog. I'm I'm a Bulls, <laughs> Bears, and White Sox fan. I don't have a lot of joy in my life right now. Uh, I I will say this though: the one thing about Jared Goff that I find so interesting is it seems like Ben Johnson has unlocked something in Jared Goff where now he doesn't need to rely on everything else for him to go out and still be the same level of quarterback. I mean, there have been weeks where he hasn't had that same level of run game or he's been missing wide receiving weapons. And all of a sudden we still see Jared Goff go out there and sling the pill for three fifty three and two touchdowns, right? Like what is it about Ben Johnson that has unlocked Jared Goff to be to what I believe is, even though the numbers may not say it, the best version we've ever seen of him. I think uh, the confidence, you know, I had a I had a very in-depth talk with Jared Goff going into the season, and he feels included. You know, I, I'm not throwing shade at, you know, whatever his situation was in L.A. He wasn't at all, but he just – I don't think he felt as included in play calling and, you know, where he can really text his, his, his offensive coordinator and his coaches, and they're really making him feel like he's a priority. And with the general manager, Brad Holmes, he was one of the guys that was working in L.A. when they did draft Jared Goff number one. And all along, he never came out and said, this is a bridge quarterback, no matter what everybody else thought. And I think they've put the pieces around him. They built this confidence up. He put the work in. And he has a group of guys that's like-minded like him, that's trying to you know, shed this narrative, that's trying to take it to the next level. And I think it's kind of like a perfect storm of for him in this situation of you know the right pieces around him, right people believing in him. And, and sports, as you know, man, you get confident. And that's all it takes. Yeah, what what about Ben Johnson as a head coaching candidate? I mean, his name, it's early, so we haven't heard outside of, you know, Jim Harbaugh and some of these other names, Bill Belichick, guys that you expect to move on from their current spots. There really haven't been the names uh, that have popped up from co- the coordinator uh, aspect yet, but his name last year was emerging as a head coach candidate. Do you think, I mean, are you hearing anything up there just as far as the interest that teams have in him and where his stock is right now uh, as a potential head coach candidate in 2024? I mean, definitely. He has to be in the mix. If you look at the last, last year he had a, you know, he had a, coaching interviews he turned down one mm-hmm. before he wanted to come back to Detroit because he felt like you know he still had a lot to prove he didn't want to leave right in the midst as they was trying to make this run of what many anticipated would happen this year so yeah I mean he has to be in there I mean look at what he's doing you come right back and you're leading, you're leading basically another top five top six offense with a completely different backfield I mean that's 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 something we'll talk about as well they revamped that backfield completely you know it's a lot of the same pieces but it's, it's a lot of different pieces as well it's not the household names even on offense that are able to do what they're doing. So a lot of that has to do with his play calling and the timing of pulling out things and using different people in spots. I mean, it wasn't a touchdown last week, but look at the play that he had for Jamison Williams where, you know, he's kind of freeing him up and running as well. And just thinking of a lot of different creative things. So I I would, I would definitely anticipate it would be a shocker if he, if he came back another year, Mm -hmm. in my opinion, that's just my opinion. Here's here's an interesting conversation around the coaches, right? Since we're talking about coaches getting jobs, uh, Dan Campbell's done such a good job that Texas A and M has come calling to try and bring him back. Now it seems like he pretty much quickly shot that job down. Like, no, I'm not coming back. I get it. It's my alma mater, all of that. But uh, what does this say about the job he's done? That while he's still working and in a winning season, that other places are calling saying, "Hey, uh, what do you what do you got going on next year? You want to come coach?" Texas A&M again? 
<laughs> I mean, you look at the energy. It's unmatched, man. This guy is the same way every single day. When they was 313-1, and one, people would always ask, how's Dan Campbell? Is he just doing this for the media clicks or is he doing – he's the same way every day. Win, lose, draw. He comes in, and I think people see that. That's where – that's how you build a consistent franchise, consistent winner by having people at the top that, that come in every day. And it's just it's just shining through. I mean, the guy takes football seriously. He, yep. He's very passionate about his job, and it's just – it's really coming through that he's not just a – a me head per se, how everybody was trying to, you know, uh, portray him early on. And, you know, he just got the right personnel and talent around him and everybody's catching on. He's taken that meathead mentality that, I mean, we, we all remember the opening press conference where he's talking about biting people's (laughs) kneecaps. And he was getting, he was getting punked for that, but very clearly they built towards something to now we can look back on that moment and say, all right, like he's, trying to give off a personality that this team will embody. And, of course, what you're seeing right now is that aggressiveness, and that's coming off in those fourth down decisions. And I, you won't find a, co- a coach that is willing to go for it as much on fourth down and be as successful. I mean, I thought last week was pitting two of the most aggressive coaches, at least in the last couple of years, Brandon Staley tapering off in that, in that category a little bit. But, you know, the, the two fourth down conversions in the first half, and then that fourth and two, the pass to Sam Laporta to, to, to more or less ice the game, to set yeah. them up and put them in field goal position. How do players respond to that? Like when you when you can tap into that raw emotion right after the game in the locker room and the aggressiveness that that coach has, has displayed, but also the faith that that has in his players. Like what do players say about some of those decisions and, you know, how often they're going for it on fourth down. Yeah, we, we, we talked to Jared Goff about that. He was like, I'm shocked when he doesn't go for it. I mean, that's just the mentality that they have. It's almost like a video game. Like, I'm going for it, I'm going for it, I'm going for it. Um, I think he's got better at it, you know, over the years. Early on, he was going for it literally every time. But, I mean, now it's tinkered down a little bit. But I think it's just the aggressive mindset that he has in his team. And he has the faith. He feels like, okay, I built this offensive line. I built them to be strong where Jared Goff's not being pressured. I trust in my quarterback. I trust in my tight end. I trust in the guys I drafted. So I think everything has been constructed enough for him to feel comfortable going for it on fourth down because they built the personnel that he feels comfortable going for it on. Mm-hmm. So and I think that's also just his nature, just like I'm going for it. But, yes, yeah, I think it, it, that bleeds into the players and this mentality. They, a lot of players say grit or a lot of coaches preach grit, but I think this is one of the few franchises that really honestly is built in that grit mindset, that gritty mindset. Yeah, no, 100%. It, it shows in, in everything that they do. It, it's a very grinded out type of uh, we're, we're going to outwork you, we're going to outfight you, and we're going to do whatever it takes to get a win. I think the one thing that uh, when you talk about Jared Goff's game and, and how successful he's been, you cannot talk about it without talking about the offensive line that has stood in mm-hmm. front of him, which I believe at this point is number one in the NFL in uh, PFF rankings right now. I mean, when you saw what they did versus Bosa and Mac, that really put the stamp on what this offensive line has become. How have they built this thing up to this point? Again, Ben Johnson going out there and putting together a great game plan, but how have they built this up to this point where not only are they elite as far as a run-blocking offensive line, but now as a pass-blocking offensive line? I think, uh, you know, it's, again, it's that mentality. And then when they drafted Panay Sewell, that was a foundational yeah. piece for these guys. I mean, when you, you you get a guy like that, a foundational tool, I don't know if you guys saw what the Lions put up, where he was mic'd up. He said, I was a man amongst boys out there, you know, and that's the way he's built. I got a chance to talk to his dad, Gabe Sewell, this week, and I think he was built that way from a kid. You know, he was saying, man, it was in a pool that he was, 
you know, eight or nine years old, and his dad was trying to get around him in the pool, and he was literally sitting there blocking him. He couldn't get around an eight or nine year old at that young. So I think when you got a foundational piece like that, who was a captain this year, you built him up, you draft him early, and then you mix him in with some of the other talents you got with, with Ragnall, who's a Pro Bowler, and you know all of these, uh, Taylor Decker and those guys on that front five. You know, this is one of the first times we seeing them these guys healthy as well. So that's that's a big thing. They have never really been healthy all together. So you, you're all seeing that come together with the pieces. The Lions have all in the past historically in a draft that got wide receivers and stuff like that. They they built it in the trenches this year. And I think they got the right guys, you know, with the right mindset who, who are doing it right. Yeah, the one of those receivers that you mentioned earlier, like in the play that like wasn't a play, but it was it wasn't a completion, but it was a play tort for Jamison Williams. Is there a level of disappointment? I mean, this guy was a first-round draft pick. Obviously, last year, coming in, coming off injury, and then the suspension this year because of the gambling situation. And he hasn't really done much. I know that it took him a while to get back, and maybe the second half of the season for him ends up being different, hopefully, than the first. But, you know, like what's, what's the story around him? Because this was supposed to be the game-changer, put him opposite of Monroe St. Brown, and, and you're going to have those two vertical threats. But it just hasn't manifested itself like that yet uh i would say two things this one thing the level of interest in this guy i've covered a lot of athletes anything you write about jameson williams or put out about jameson williams, it's almost like he has this caught following a little bit of people mm-hmm. that want to see it's almost like an enigma around him because we haven't saw him a lot you got to look at it. he got drafted coming off of acl tear so he didn't yeah. even get a chance to play you know a full season last year then you come into this year the gambling he couldn't you know he ended up hurting his hamstring in training camp and couldn't even get proper treatment because he was suspended and they end up, you know, taking it down to four games instead of six. But I think it's it's some level of disappointment, but then it's a level of optimism because we haven't really saw him get through a full season. Now, I will say this. I feel like his attitude has been right. You know, his mm-hmm. demeanor, like you look at the block that he put to set up David Montgomery for that 75 yard touchdown that he just had last week. So I, that, that lets you know he's bought into the system. I think his confidence is always there, but I think he has to refine some of those small details, being in the right spot. And, I mean, he has struggled a little bit with drops as well, you know, but we also saw him be dynamic and catch the big play, the big touchdowns that he had in, in Tampa Bay as well. So I think – I wouldn't say disappointment. I think it's still a little optimism, and I think the Lions are factoring in, hey, this guy did miss, you know, a lot of last year. He missed this year, so let's be patient. Now, I think next year if he gets through a full season and we at this point, he's not doing as much. I think you can get into the disappointment part but I think right now it's still a level of optimism because everyone knows he hasn't he's been dealt some bad hands some bad cards mm-hmm. you know starting off for his career no for sure I want to I want to get into a little bit of the Detroit Lions fan because clearly this is more than just a job for you you got the Detroit versus everybody going on and all this of ain't that. no Lions though I mean this 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 is a this is oh, a no, brand no, I, here. I get yeah. you I get you I, I know where it's from but yeah, yeah. I mean but it, it's just when you when you see what the Lions have been through and now coming into this season, does this season feel more legitimate, right? Like we've seen Lions teams that have had the pop-up season, but does this season feel like the beginning as a fan of the team of the, okay, this is going to be something that's going to be sustainable for years to come, not just a pop-up season, which is something we've dealt with here in Chicago so many times. Man, as a, I can't necessarily say a fan. I was born in basketball coming up, honestly, you know. So I, I'm gonna say a reporter. I'm gonna say a Michigan resident. Right, who's been around. I understand. I got friends who who, who definitely diehards. Uh, I think so, man. But it's still tough for everybody to just completely buy in like that because 
we just saw this story so many times. You know, you start good and, you know, you burn out. It does feel sustainable looking at the record, you know, looking at uh, who they have left remaining. I mean, it's not really a really tough challenge until Dallas. You know, it was mm-hmm. three, four games down the line, December 30th or something like that. So I, I think it's been built the right way. It does feel like it's right, but we still got to see it. <laughs> and you do all this, you get in the playoffs, you get bounced the first round. I mean, like, you know, it, it, it's just guys want to see, you know, how we close this out. But I do, in my personal opinion, I feel like they've been constructed the right way. As I mentioned before, that Panay Sewell pick was, was, was a big thing for me because in the past – it's been wide receiver, wide receiver, getting the same position. The yeah. fact that they committed to building in the trenches with Panay Sewell, and you come back and you use a top pick to get Aiden Hutchinson, you know, on the defensive side, not doing things traditionally that have been done in the past. Even this year when everybody scratched their heads with Jameer Gibbs and, you know, drafting him that early as a running back, now you're seeing what the vision is. It's smart moves that's been made, which haven't been in the past. So just based off how they're moving in the general manager, I think it is sustainable. I think it is the start of something – New in Detroit, just based off the the, the personnel and, and what they're doing. Mm-hmm. Finally, it feels like it's competent moves at this point. If that makes sense. Sure, I mean, you have a competent general manager <laughs> yeah. who came in, somebody who had a vision for the rebuild, but also that speaks to ownership. I mean, I remember twenty 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 when it was twenty, yeah, when um when Martha Ford gives the the vote of confidence at that point. You know, or it was the 2019 season, and then after that, Lions uh, Thanksgiving game when when the head coach and the general manager was Jim Bob Cooter and Matt Patricia got fired like the day after um, that game. And very clearly they were like enough's enough. And that's, I feel like because of where the lions came into the league, like where they are kind of established as one of the older franchises, kind of like the bears, there's some parallels there in terms of the way that the ownership groups think. Um, and also just the amount of losing that has happened when this is a team that doesn't have the playoff success. Neither team has the playoff success to be able to, you know, rest on their laurels there. So there's, it's, it's going to be interesting to see kind of what, if this is sustained success, because you mentioned there's, there's, they, this is their second NFC North game that's of the season. And then they've got a nice stretch coming up of those. Um, one thing I want to ask you before we get you out of here, Eric, when we were talking about David Montgomery, the Bears wanted to keep him. They really wanted to keep him this past offseason, and he decided he wanted to go somewhere else. And he signed a contract that was about right around the amount that the Bears were willing to give him. Does he talk about Chicago? Has he mentioned anything about the Bears since he's been there? And or is he just like completely kind of just like putting that one on the back burner? Because obviously he's had Sands injury this year. He's had a terrific year. And even with the injury, he was able to come back and have an awesome game last week. Yeah. So we, we, we talked to uh, David. I talked to him yesterday and uh, this, I asked him before, you know, like, number one, what was your perception of Detroit before you got there? And like, you know, why did you get there? He he told me, honestly, he said that was a stat game for me. I looked at Detroit and I looked, I circled it on the calendar knowing that I'm going to put up big numbers every time I play against them. But he said last year when he played against them with the Bears, you know, he, he saw a difference in the defense and he saw the difference in the mentality. First time he thought it was a fluke. He said when they played them the second time and they were able to still continue that, that's when his mind got the rolling like, man, this Lions team might be legit. So when it was time to look in the free agency, he saw the way that the team was building. He saw, you know, things that they were putting around and how seriously they were becoming. He thought it would be a good option for him. So I don't think necessarily he's, uh, you know, uh, got any bad blood with Chicago or anything mm-hmm. like that. He didn't say that, but I think he's just far removed and just he, he's mentally engaged in what he's doing right now. He was saying yesterday, I go to bed at the same time, 10, 15. I'm not changing my mindset at all going into this game, 
you know, mm-hmm. against the Bears. And I think that's kind of just the mentality he's had. He's not like looking at this as like a revenge game or uh, anything like that. I think he's just coming in with a calm demeanor like he's been all season. And uh, he's kind of bleeding that over into Jameer Gibbs as well, who's kind of developing that same type of mindset as they're, you know, bonding as well. That's what everybody says. And then they put up 250 yards on us right. in the rushing game. Yeah, I mean, that <laughs> wasn't a revenge game. No, got, I just you, you put four touchdowns out of nowhere. They yeah. never did this. Uh, <laughs> no, man. Eric, we appreciate you for joining the show. Uh, as And uh, listen, keep killing it out there. You're doing a great job covering the Detroit Lions. Uh, and man, it's it's been it's been a uh, a real pleasure having this conversation with you because Detroit is a team that I like. I love to hate because it's Detroit. I love the rivalry. But dang it, I like this team. I hate that I like this team. But <laughs> as always, man, it's your boy, Pat, the designer, back at it again. Joined by Courtney Cronin. Appreciate you guys for tuning in and listening. Hit that like button. Subscribe to the page. Y'all make sure y'all follow Eric over on Twitter as well. Y'all stay safe out there, Chicago. Bear down. Peace. Thank y'all. Appreciate you.